Welcome back to Common Sense Fantasy Baseball. I'm Drew, and welcome to the 2022 season. Uh, this is my first prep podcast for 2022 baseball. I've already done a few drafts, but uh, it's time to start sharing the knowledge. And uh, to share his knowledge, I have with me Dave McDonald today. Dave, thanks for coming back on. Hey, buddy. How are you? Thanks so much for having me. Can you believe it's it's not actually 2022? We're in we're in mid November <laughs> here, but can you believe we're doing prep for um for next year? And I, I, I don't know. think you've actually had to draft yet, have you? Uh, I had one at, at first pitch Arizona just because it was something to do uh, while I was there. But uh, that's it was a free draft and it was it was a, a draft and hold league that was just kind of uh you know gut feel kind of draft because I you know had no materials no prep. Uh, right. So it was just kind of flying by the seat of my pants. I felt like I was my uh, my high stakes heat co-host Jake for the day because I was just, you know, just going through and taking guys and not not, you know, doing any research or anything. I think so. It was just an interesting <laughs> way to kind of get it, get the juices flowing and uh, kind of see where I'm at cognitively with before I start doing my research for everything. How did you like things from uh, your co-host's perspective from the fly by the seat of your pants drafting? <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> I hate it so much. You're Mr. Preparation, I, uh, so I, I can't I am, imagine that was a good fit. Yeah, I am Mr. Preparation. But, you know, <laughs> it's a free draft. You know, it doesn't cost anything. So yeah, even though like even it's though it was like this, in October sometimes, <laughs> it, you know, I've never done it before. This is my first time, um, you know, now that. Now that all you degenerates got me into this uh, uh, industry, I'm I'm starting to get started earlier because I have to because I'm on all these pods and everything. And like, you know, I, I have to know what the hell I'm talking about. So, <laughs> so well, it's good. It was it's good, though. It's good to get started earlier. I think it's going to help. Well, I'm I'm a I'm a draft champions junkie, so I've already done three. I uh, just just made <laughs> my last pick are. and uh, <laughs> you helped me make, make, make my 50th round pick in, uh, in uh, my third my third draft champions league. I've, I've actually done two of them with, um, with Chris from baseball pods. We're, we're teaming oh, up okay. this year. Yeah. And I've nice. never teamed up with anybody on, on a draft or, or managing a team. So it's kind of cool to see how that sort of affects things. I get players that I wouldn't have thought of. And, um, it, you know, I, I feel like I have a plan going into draft champions leagues, especially since that's sort of what I, that's, that's kind of my bread and butter. That's, that's what's kind of my favorite, uh, type of league and yet really? it was cool okay. to see how that uh, opened some new you know doors or so, so, some new uh, opportunities I wouldn't have thought of but yeah no I, I draft champions are kind of best for me I, I haven't really mastered fab yet I haven't really um I don't really uh you know do the weekly moves as, as, as well as some people or you know the, the semi-weekly moves yeah. you know uh, yeah. so, so there's there's definitely I have, I have some things left to improve for sure but the draft oh, we champions uh you know it's a lot it obviously the, the whole thing is is team building and drafting so you right know how to... yeah I mean if you can do that and do you do you do like a um all throughout the draft season like do you do some early drafts some middle of the offseason yes. drafts and then some towards the end of the offseason Totally. And uh, where do you have find you have the most success, like with your earlier drafts, your later drafts? Or well, just kinda... we, we, you know, I started in 2019, so we have two full seasons and a, and a partial season. So, um, okay, the the league that I happen to win this year, and I think 
the league. So I got I got first, and huh, you would think I would remember those. I did do like several <laughs> leagues, so I, I I don't remember it off the cuff. But let me let me pull up my. Uh, so I got a first place in league thirteen oh four. So that was obviously later in the year. Got a second place in one that was probably in January. Um, so you know it's it's kind of a smattering. I I don't know. I would have to go back and look at see if I did well in 2019 in any leagues that were <laughs> as early as this, you know, November or um, or December. But uh, and uh, and you won the Battle of the Pods Draft Champions League for the first year, right? Yeah, that was the short season. So that was we were we drafted that one in I think July, right? Because <laughs> I, I I was not I was in Battle of the Pods season two. I was not right, in the right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And so was Rob. And so <laughs> that was, he, he ran away with it, but I, I had run away yeah. with it in the short season, but you know, I, I definitely need to, um, to be competitive again so I can, uh, you know, prove that it wasn't a fluke, but um, this was, this was the uh, first year I did. I, I did one draft and hold league in 2019. I didn't do any in 2020. And then in 2021, I did three, uh, cause I've never really been a draft and hold guy. Oh, um, and I, I got like seventh in two of them and eighth in one. Those were the only leagues I didn't cash in everything uh, else. All well, my bad leagues, all my favorite wire leagues. I'm good. But when it comes to draft champions, I'm still learning. If you're, if you're good at fab, you know, I can imagine how a draft champions would just not play to your skills because it's like, for one thing, you have to kind of draft differently in a draft champions. In my, I mean, again, I'm speaking as someone who's not good at fab, but if I were good at fab, <laughs> I would draft a fab league differently than a draft champions because oh, you're, you're not, for you're sure, not for to, sure. You know, you're, you're taking more shots at upside, especially late, and you're, you know, you're not having to like in the draft champions leagues in the in the rounds, you know, twenty to twenty five. I'm just pounding, you know, hitting that basically full-time hitters right you know you just and, and and those guys aren't nearly as valuable in a fab league so right but it's, yeah but it's interesting to sort of think about it strategically to, to craft your there's huge routine. strategic differences and i think that i knew going into draft champions what the correct strategy was but i guess i just didn't execute well enough because like um you know i i i drafted three aces to start one of my draft draft champions leagues to uh be my anchors because then i kind of i i pound the hitting hard in the first 30 rounds because once right. those everyday hitters run out like then you you have nothing but pitching to draft pretty much and so how'd your that's where you want to be well that's do... the thing so i started with three aces but my aces all ended up sucking i had giolito aaron nola and zach gallon and I ended up last in ERA. So when you start with three wow. aces that's, and you end up last in ERA, it's like, that's a bad Jesus beat Christ. Right yeah. Yeah. So well, I don't know if it's a procedure, you know. So your hitting thing. did okay? You did, did you okay in hitting? Because I would have thought well, if you started yeah, that my, way. My hitting, yeah, my hitting crushed it. And, and oh, that's okay, the funny okay. thing. Like, I, I didn't even have a first three-round hitter, and I still crushed it hitting-wise, but my pitching just didn't come yeah. together. And I think it was just bad luck. I think I just took the wrong guys, unfortunately. That's the thing that you'll notice with, with draft champions is, you know, guys like, um, like Rob and Phil, a lot of times they, they do the grab a couple early pitchers and then just pound hitting for most right. of the first 30 rounds, like you said, and end up with like, you know, 20 something hitters in their first 30 rounds. And even though they don't have the, 
you know, Tatis's or Acuna's or Soto's or whoever you want to, it's, it's still enough to, to yeah, not only it, compete, it adds but, up. but, but actually, you know, do really well in, in the hitting categories, maybe even win like runs and RBI because yeah. You're, because you're, getting, you're not taking zero volume game. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. You the whole goal in draft champions is to never take zeros, you know, to always be having right. enough backups to put in because you're gonna need those guys uh at some point in the year because you're gonna have injuries and and guys are gonna suck and stuff's gonna happen where you need those backups. And so you gotta make sure you have all those backups as they're pretty much gone in the first 30 rounds. So David, I usually go like 22, yeah. 23 hitters in the first 30 rounds, pretty much. Totally. That's 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 exactly what I do as well. And then you have to t- turn right around and, and just pound pitching for yeah. like rounds 30 through 45, you know, just pretty because, much. Yeah. Because you got to have enough starting pitching, especially if you're drafting in November. But it's interesting right. you you mentioned injuries, Dave, because that's what we're going <laughs> to that's what we're going to focus on today. Um, specifically i've sort of asked you how you evaluate uh who's an injury risk and and who's not so so we're going to go through some pictures um i came up with a list you added some people to it and um i just i'm really looking forward to hearing how you think about these and like uh, we're, yeah we're going to focus on pitchers because that's that's sort of pitchers always get injured i mean it's just a, just right. a fact of life they're either injured or you know eventually going to be so and the and the big thing is that when they get hurt it's usually like a very long-term thing like whereas hitters can be out for you know a week or two and and pitchers can too but a lot of times these end up being things that they have to get tommy john or you know they they have a shoulder injury and they're out for three or four months or something like that and it's it's often a bigger concern when it comes to starting pitchers comparative to hitters totally and it's it's pitchers are kind of binary in that way. And in, and in a lot of ways, really, like if you have a pitcher who, well, let's let, compare a, a part-time hitter to a starting pitcher who's not always in the rotation. The part-time hitter may not do you any good if he's, you know, hitting every third day, but the pitcher, you know, as long as he gets a normal start might actually help you. So I, I think of pitchers, very differently um, for, for exactly sort of the reason you said they're just, it's, it's a binary thing. They're either, if they're hurt, they're out for a while and, you know, you can drop them or cross them off your list or whatever. If they're, if they're pitching and they're good, then you're just hoping they don't get hurt. <laughs> so pretty much. Yeah. So let's look at some, some uh, let's, we'll sort of start uh, with some of the guys that uh, are going fairly early. Well, we can jump around a bit. We don't have to go in any particular order, but uh, one of the first things that made me think to do this is we were talking in our, in our chat that we have with some other guys on Twitter. And um, I mentioned some of the guys that had jumped up into the top 25 pitchers this year. And there were a lot, there were, there were probably, you know, double digits that have jumped up into at least the top 30 pitchers um, that weren't there last year. And one of them what, that I listed was Carlos Rodon. And uh, you were like, well, hold your horses there, buddy, because I don't know if he's going to be healthy. And um, I don't think you were saying in any way that he's not a top, you know, probably 10 pitcher if he's healthy. You were just talking about uh, maybe, maybe I wasn't considering the risks. So let's let's consider them. And, and if, if you would just sort of quickly um, take us through the season. Obviously, we know he was just coming back from his 2019 Tommy John this year. But then um, what, what after that, 
started to worry you again. Um, he, he started out great, but then at some point, um, we know he had some trouble down the stretch. So, right, and that was, and that was always the risk with him. Like you know, when he started off like a house of fire, and you know, looking like a Cy Young candidate. Um, you know, he had, a, I mean, he had an awesome year coming off of, I mean, the guy had pitched, uh, let's see between 2019 and 2020, he pitched about 42, 43 innings, something like that. So, you know, 43 innings over the last two seasons before this, my main concern is him holding up over a longer period of time. And sure enough, in the second half, things started happening, but you know, this is a guy who had Tommy John in May of 2019, and then a shoulder injury in August of 2020. He overhauled his delivery in the offseason before 2021. Uh, so obviously that helped lead him to um, back to having this this incredible success that he had this year. I mean, this is a this is a guy who was a number three overall pick back in 2014. So obviously high pedigree, um, tons of talent. But uh, you know, then comes into this year, and then in uh, May of 2021 he had back and hamstring injuries and then almost a year from his prior shoulder injury in 2020 in august of this year he had another shoulder injury and then he uh and then i think that was the end of his season if i'm remembering correctly uh let's see or he missed some time but then he came back in looks like late august sorry go ahead he did. He came back August 26th uh, after missing a few weeks. Um, and, you know, the, the velo is the thing that everybody's worried about. Right. So it was it was right. down. It kind of fell throughout the month of uh, September, I guess. And it ended at 91 in his last start. Uh, how many pitches was that? 69 pitches. So it's, it's not it's not great, Bob. Nice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so. Is, is the velo part of your sort of worry for him like it is for most yeah, people? Yeah, I, I, just, I just don't think – I mean, there's a couple of things here. There's, there's number one, I just don't think he's built up to go far deep into a season, and I'm worried about that shoulder. Like, he's now had two straight years where that shoulder was a problem in 2020 and then 2021. And a lot of times guys coming off of Tommy John, their body overcompensates, and then they have other – injuries that uh, that pop up and I think that that's might be what happened here I mean the back and the hamstring issues were probably uh, somewhat minor because uh, he came back from those pretty shortly but um, when you're talking about a shoulder injury that's uh, that's something that that scares me a bit and then that that velo being down it's just and the other thing is coming off the season he had he's going to be overvalued like you're have you have to pay for what sure, he sure. just did and that's not what I want to be doing. I, well, I want we get to to the price yeah, before we get to the price. Cause I, I, that is probably the most interesting thing for, for, for him and, and for some of these other guys, but, but for Radon, uh, you know, what I, I, I agree. Shoulders are scary. No, no argument there. What, what kind of got me was that the designations that I saw were like uh, on August 11th, he had the IL for shoulder soreness. And then you know, in September when it was sort of acting up on him again, they just, the, uh, I think one of the managers uh, came out and said it was normal soreness, you know, in, in late uh, September. And, and obviously that, that kept him from pitching as much volume 
and certainly you saw it in the velo, but he did come back in the playoffs and pitch a few innings. And it, it wasn't like, uh, you know, that you could make the case that he just kind of wore down over his first full season in the last few years. And mm-hmm. so is there a tempering to your, to your pessimism here <laughs> with Rodon? Like there, like maybe, would you say there's a chance he'll be, you know, have a nice off season of rest and then be okay for next year? Or is this something you feel like doesn't just fix itself like that? No. Yeah. And there's guys that we'll be talking about after him who I think are much bigger risks than him. Like, I think he's a risk. I, I don't, I don't necessarily think it's like a terrible, if you're, if you think that, I mean, it totally makes sense that he could just be building back up. You know, he pitched 43 innings or whatever. And then he pitched uh, in from the last two seasons. And then this season he pitched, uh, 133 innings. So maybe he's just, you know, building himself back up and he'll be okay. Um, I just, it's, it's a little bit too much for, for me, but yeah, it could be, you know, soreness is not as bad as say tightness or inflammation. Those are, those words are more, um, panic uh, red flags. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Panic inducing. Exactly. Yeah. One um, other thing about Rodon is, and, and, you know, great to point out that, you know, he, he only got, what did you say, 133 innings this year? And and yet, yeah. and yet he was so dominant that he was like 50th on the player rater. And he, and think about what he did for your ratios. So it's just oh, yeah. like, he's clearly worth, you know, a high pick if he's healthy, or even if he's only, you know, able to get, let's say 150 innings, 140 innings, you know, maybe just what he did this season. The, the, the thing is the risk. And so, um, yeah. the one last point on him was that the White Sox did not give him a qualifying offer, which I thought was super. Strange. Yeah. You also yeah, I saw that too. Kershaw didn't get one either. So we can, we'll talk about Kershaw well. later, but, <laughs> but, but what does that mean to you when the, when the team doesn't give him the, cause the qualifying offer actually helps the team to, to, to give him the offer, even if he's going to um, turn it down and they didn't feel comfortable doing that, I guess. Yeah. So that's the thing. It's, it's more indicative to me when a team doesn't offer a qualifying offer. It doesn't mean much to me when a guy gets a, a, a contract. Like a lot of times people assume that a guy getting a contract means, oh, well, he must be healthy because otherwise they wouldn't have given him. No, 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 no. Never trust front offices to, to know, to quote, no better than you. Like that's <laughs> where that whole appeal to authority thing that doesn't work. Um, especially, <laughs> especially when it comes to the Mets, but other teams as well. But like, just because Cindergard got a $25 million one year deal does not mean that I think he's good to go for this year, for example, you know, like it, it, but when it comes to guys who don't get offered a qualifying offer like Rodon and like Kershaw, that's definitely a red flag to me because gotcha. that might mean that there is more there that they're not reporting that we don't know about. You know what yeah, I mean? Was, I think that that's, there's some signal there. That was sort of the this biggest is a team, red flag I mean, because. Yeah, because this is a team that's a playoff team, right? Like this isn't some, you know, this isn't the Marlins or something who can't afford them. This is the White Sox. Like if yeah. he's if he's good to go, why wouldn't they give him a qualifying offer? I mean, if he's even even reasonably good to go, that seems like a bargain for him versus what he could get if he pitches his right. half as well as he did last year. You know, so it's just it's and and again, like if it's always that you always have to take into account the fact that if if he declines it or if any player declines it that helps the team. I forget what pick they get or something, you know, whatever the specifics are, but it's like they would give that if they felt like they could 
get away with doing so. And so that's exactly. That's, and you know, uh, my my being out on Rodan right now, uh, it's just because it's it's early in the mm-hmm. off season. Like it might be if you asked me in March, am I in on him to some degree? My answer might be different. It's just if I'm drafting now. I'm not taking Rodon because from, from what I see, there's too much risk there, but he's not someone who's as risky as some of the other guys we're going to get, going to discuss where uh, I'm just completely out on him regardless. Like there could be a situation where if he, if he seems like he's good to go in spring training, if he pitches a lot of innings in spring, I might be, and he looks good and the velos back up. I might be more inclined to be in on him. Although that probably means his price is going to be rising as well. That's, that's the other part of the problem. Yeah, that's that's the question for me now, and and for us junkies who are going to do you know tons of draft. Like if you if you're a Zach Waxman and you're going to do 37 draft champions uh, leagues, <laughs> do you do you maybe grab him in one while he's going after pick 100? Yeah, I, I definitely think that you if you're if you're that kind of volume drafter, which I'm not. So that's the other thing. Like I'm I'm glad you added context there because it's different for different people because you have different strategies uh, depending on how many leagues, like if you're only doing a couple leagues, then you're going to be very risk averse like me, because I'm not doing 37 leagues like Zach. Uh, But if you're Zach, it might make sense to do that. Like you said, if you're expecting his, his uh, cost to go up later, then now is the the prime time to take him for sure. Very interesting. Cause you're not going to say that about some of these guys. So that's, that's really, yes. That's yes. really interesting. And also even, even so, even after pick 100 for a guy who could be like worth a first round pick, if he's healthy, I mean, you still have to be careful because if he's not healthy, you've now wasted your, you know, eighth round pick or whatever. And you've got to make sure you make that up somewhere or you're going to really struggle. Cause that's the nature of the beast with draft champions. So um, all really, really good things to think about. And uh, it kind of leads us seemingly into the next guy on the list. Uh, a little known pitcher named Jacob DeGrom, who, um, who? <laughs> <laughs> we all know is the best pitcher in baseball if he's out right. of the mound. Um, but, right. you know, you put in your notes, which I thank you so much for doing these notes, by the way. Oh, yeah. he, he did not pitch since just listener come up with a date in your mind. And I, I'm, I'm very curious how many people will know this. His last outing was on July 7th. I didn't, I didn't realize it that. I mean, that was, I thought at least he had like, he, he, he tried, he struggled to come back a couple of times in August, but July 7th, yeah. a lot of time he missed. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's weird because he had possibly, the best three months of uh, baseball that's ever been pitched. I mean, from, from April 5th to July 7th, even his last, his last outing, he still went seven innings, 10 strikeouts, two earned runs. Like uh, he was still good in his last outing. Like the guy is, is unreal levels of good, but uh, you know, coming into the season, as I'm famously known for, I, I was fading him. And the reason was the health, you know, you can't, you can't have, you couldn't have known that he was going to be this good for a half a season. You can say he's the best pitcher in baseball, but he was so far better than everybody else, like head and shoulders better. There's no way you could have seen that coming. Uh, totally so agree. I think I made the correct call to avoid him. All the red flags that I saw coming, like this was not a shock to me at all. Um, and now we know he has the partial tear of his right UCL on his elbow. He did not have surgery. So 
again, going into next year, it's a huge, huge risk. Um, the upside is immense, but I don't think that the risk is being properly accounted for by him still going in the first two rounds. Like if you were going in the sixth round or something like that, I would take him because, Hey, even if he's healthy for a third of the season, a quarter of a season, whatever, I could still get some value out of him because he's so freaking good, but I can't take him in the first two rounds because there's no way that I'm just trusting he's okay. So you would, if you had to guess, he probably starts the season relatively on time, but then it's a ticking time bomb kind of. Uh, yeah, exactly. Which has kind of been your the way you've looked at him for years, I think. And you know, yeah. maybe maybe twenty twenty one kind of proved you right because it's it's not like like you said he was he was incredible until he couldn't pitch anymore. And it's like I don't I don't know that the human body can throw one oh two consistently yeah. for a full season. <laughs> like I just don't know that that's going to ever happen for him again. And and you know, even a couple of years ago when he was pitching full seasons I don't think he was throwing quite this fast it's just it just can't yeah. I mean it looks like an effortless delivery but I just feel like it it, it cannot be. it takes its toll yeah yeah and uh Zach had put out uh Zach Waxman who you mentioned earlier had put out a tweet a while ago because this is something that I've I've noticed over you know 20 years of playing at this level and it's like I've noticed uh guys who throw really hard you know they tend to have increased risk factors and and zach noted that guys who threw i think it was like 98.5 miles an hour and above uh tend to have like i think all of them ended up getting tj or something like that and like they're just much higher risk factors i I, i'd have to look up the tweet specifically but it was very interesting the guys who were on that list and degrom was one of them and uh yeah i think i think the fact that he throws that hard definitely increases the risk with every pitch that he throws, like you said, ticking time bomb, you know, when is it, you know, like he's been missing starts for years, but not significant starts until this year. But every single time he throws that, you know, 100, 101 mile an hour fastball, it's, it's that much more wear and tear on his arm. And it's like, is this really the guy that you want to anchor your rotation? And I just, I can't get there. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter how good you are for a month or two months. If you're not pitching, he, he tested that this year with three months of just perfection, which he right. was still pretty valuable. Even if you, you know, had to replace him with John Lester for the second half of the season, you know, <laughs> but the, but the, the thing is, you know, that's a complete outlier and, and you're not necessarily guaranteed even three months. So totally right. understand where you're coming from on that one. And I, I do think that uh, if you are going to take a guy like him, uh, you want it to be in shallower leagues that have IL slots. So like NFBC 15 team leagues are not the place in my opinion to be taking him because you have to hold him on a seven man short bench. You don't have any IL slots and it's a 15 team league. So the replacement value is very poor. Like you are saying, like, a John Lester like that, hopefully not that bad, but pretty close to that. But like in a Yahoo t- league where it's like a shallow 12 team league uh, with IL slots. Now, if I take him, I can throw him on the IL when he's hurt and I can pick up a guy like, I, I mean, on my waiver wire, you know, Montas was on the waiver wire last year. Like that's how shallow it is at times on that, on that waiver on that wire. So 
you can replace him with a really good pitcher. And that's kind of, those are the kind of places where I would take a, a much riskier player like that. If I'm going to take them. Not to get, I don't want to get off on the velo thing too much, but is there, is there a point where you worry about a guy's average velo or is it just if he's regularly dialing up triple digits? I mean, like for instance, I just sorted the leaderboard and Sandy Alcantara is on the top with a 97.9 mile per hour average on his fastball. And the second guy on the list is Garrett Cole with 97.7. And then you have Luis Castillo and Wheeler and Burns is not far behind Diavaldi. Uh, I mean, I don't worry about it's 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 funny. It's almost like there's this range of like 95 to 96, you know, average fastball velocity where it's just like that's just an awesome pitcher. But then when you get to the very top of that list and you're pushing 98 average, is do you worry about that for Alcantara or Cole or even Castillo? No, not really. Um, I. I more look at it as like another factor if there's other injury issues have popped up, like, like, uh, you know, Alcantara might have injury issues at some point in his career, but until that starts happening, I'm, I'm not going to be concerned about it. Um, you know, like, like Wheeler is a guy who I'm targeting, uh, Garrett Cole. I have no issues with, I mean, Cole had a lot of injury issues in the past, but I think he's seem seemingly more or less past it. But I mean, like we know, we know pitchers get hurt. I just he's, want to, he's good for now. Right. Yeah, <laughs> Until he's exactly. <laughs> ex- exactly. Like, and, and you know, anybody can get it hurt at any time, you know, like Beaver wasn't uh, uh, a high risk injury risk going into 2021, but he got hurt, you know, and it's like, now well, maybe that good. had that's something a, to do with, go ahead. That's a good point uh, that we, we probably shouldn't, put that evil on anybody, you know, because until you <laughs> yeah. start breaking down, it, it, it may be like a, a long-term ticking time bomb, but it, but it could be years and there's really no way we can predict that. So it'd be kind of foolish right. to try. So good, good correction on, on my, uh, my, my question. You know, it's funny. I, I'm every few sentences we say, I'm reminded of what somebody said in our, our chat about, I can't wait for Dave to tell me the three pitchers that I'm allowed to draft this year. <laughs> so, it, it does see, we, we have to be careful not to rule out literally every starting pitcher. So that's, I appreciate you. Uh, you, you no, but I mean, it, it really helps the draft to be able to take guys out of the player pool and to be able to just say, okay, yeah. I'm not taking these guys, you know, and, and that really balance, limits. Sure. Yeah. And that, but that helps me focus in on the guys that I should be focused on. And if I, you know, like when I read flag guys, if I read flag 20 different pitchers, I'm usually like 17 of them end up like underperforming and getting hurt and all that stuff. So I'm okay missing on like two or three guys to get like 17. Right. So that's kind of how I look at it is if, if I, I would rather be too paranoid than not paranoid enough, I guess, or not paranoid, but, uh, you know, worried, concerned. Yeah. Well, that's great. Let's, let's move. Well, I guess I could ask the question. No, you already said with the DeGrom, you'd, you'd take him even in the, the sixth round. Well, let's, let's talk about Shane Beaver because he missed, um, a lot of time this year he, he somehow got 96 innings which surprises me that it's even that many um because it just seemed like he was always out right. with something um and he he got all of that in pretty much in april may and the first half of june so maybe that's why i don't remember him as well um <laughs> but he did come back for just a, six innings and two starts in the end of at the end of uh 
September. So what's your, and this is sort of a, a good general question. When a guy comes back, even for just a very short spell and he looks okay, first of all, do you think he looked okay? And then secondly, where do you go with that? Is that sort of the all clear or is it more tenuous than that? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, I wish it were the all clear. I mean, this is my boy, right? I mean, fever was, uh, you know, my, my Cy Young pit pick in, uh, in 2020 and, um, you know, he, and he came through and, uh, you know, he's, I'm a Cleveland guy. So I love, I love Shane Bieber, but, um, I was definitely concerned. And, and like when he came back, he didn't look like himself either. I mean, he only pitched, he was, he only had two, three inning outings, uh, you know, um, he just didn't look right. Uh, but again, I wasn't expecting him to, I don't like when guys just, they don't have any, like if they don't know, like if it's a shoulder injury and then he comes back three months later, it's like, okay, so are we just assuming that rest cured this? I don't know. I feel like usually these things end up in surgery. And so um, I'm definitely concerned. Yeah. I'm definitely concerned that this could be something, a, a problem going into 2022. I'm, I just am at this point with what I know, which isn't a lot, honestly, I'm just not comfortable drafting Shane Bieber. So he'll be on know, my do not how, draft list as of now. Do you know how the shoulder was described? Was it like a shoulder strain or, or just I inflammation or what, what exactly? Not, let me check. I did not write it down specifically in my notes. I just put shoulder injury. Um, Again, your, your notes, your notes are much better than mine. And I, and I have a feeling that you have <laughs> little uh, Google docs going back several years with notes like this. I do. Um, <laughs> I do. Yeah. But, but yeah, I just saw shoulder and I thought, well, that's, that's part of what I want to get at here. Cause like, so with, it's, with, it was called a strain, a shoulder strain. Okay. So that's, that's sounds to me. I, I've heard that a strain is just a small tear. And so that sounds worse than Rodon's sort of shoulder fatigue or whatever they were calling it. Uh, I don't, yeah. Um, it, it does sound worse. I, I don't, uh, I th- of course it already took I, him out for two, two months plus. So maybe it's, you know, to the extent that, that it was strained, maybe the strain has fully healed, but yeah, there's, there's also other factors here. Like, you know, with the whole, um, you know, with the different ball and with the lack of sticky stuff. And I, I don't, I don't know that Bieber was a sticky stuff guy. Um, I know that, that those different factors caused some pitchers to get hurt. So Bieber might've been one of them. Cause he had, you know, no injury red flags going into 2021, but I heard a lot of guys talking about how uh, the different ball made them like, put different uh, emphasis on different parts of their arm and shoulder and it caused more injuries. I think, I think uh, Glasnow was talking about that too. So I don't know. I don't know exactly what happened here. I just, I'm concerned about other things besides just that I'm concerned about whether he's going to be as good as he was before. Um, right, it's not just the injury. It's, it's, you know, he's got to get back into things. Uh, yeah, exactly. At, at the major league level. And, you know, you, you mentioned the the other concerns you know i think most pitchers did kind of adjust to no sticky stuff but it took a while and he hasn't done that yet so right might, that might be a factor I, I would say even if he was healthy you know he, he might not need to be a first rounder which he's not right now but he's going pretty early 
is there is there a point where you think is right for him to be going because he's right now he's going in in the second round yeah he's going in the second round which which is which is way higher than i'm willing to take him i mean my argument with people is always this it's okay if if i have injury concerns about someone Let's say I think that Bieber is a better pitcher than uh, Sandy Alcantara or Aaron Nola. Okay, fine. Is he that much better than them that he should be going at the same time or 10 weeks earlier than them, um, given the injury risk that those other guys don't have? That's what I just don't understand. Like, let's say that those guys are worse. They're not like significantly worse in skills where it makes sense to take him over them. Like, I just don't understand that. Like for me, Bieber would be probably a guy <clears throat> I wouldn't take until like round. I don't know right now off the top of my head, like seven or eight. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense. It's like you, you said it perfectly. It's how much better is he going to be than all of these guys that I have no injury concerns about. And, and, yeah. if, and if the answer is even, you know, he's definitely better, but barely, but you know, but it's, uh, his whip Negligible. is going to be yeah. 0.5 better and his ERA is going to be, you know, a, a few ticks better and, and maybe he'll have a few more strikeouts. Then what are we talking about here? You know, take the healthy guy, right? Take the exactly. guy you don't have concerns about. And so that probably gets me down to about the at least fifth or sixth round as well. Cause I mean, you, you, I mean, you can get Trevor Rogers in the six, you can get, Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Joe Musgrove and uh, I mean, the seventh, McClanahan, uh, Charlie Morton. I mean, you know, right. uh, these guys aren't that much. I mean, yeah, sure. Bieber has another gear, you know, he's another level if he's, if he's, you know, all clear, but you're quite clearly saying it's, it's too soon to sound the all clear here. We just really can't do that. So I think, yeah. And again, I, I might feel differently. Like I, I still think I won't take him regard. I, I don't think there's a world that I'll be taking him in the second round of this year but I might not be as off of him if this whole off season and then into spring training, like everything looks good and healthy and the velo is good. And the, you know, all the pitches are looking crisp, but I just don't see him being my second round pick. Like if I can take a different guy, I'll take a different guy. I just, I don't see why I would take him. Right. I could see taking him in the fourth over Max Fried, maybe if, if he goes through a full, you know, spring training and everything looks good but i'm not yeah there's no reason to take him over nola or giolito or uh, even Weber, gaussman or peralta yeah any of these guys exactly all right well next on the list we've got uh chris sale who came back and um interestingly i was going to sort of frame this we had sale and severino and Syndergaard um this year who came back from Tommy John's in 2020, all of them had Tommy John around around February and March of 2020. And what's interesting to me is some some of the guys that are coming back next year, their Tommy John's, rather than happening in March of this year or February of this year, actually happened in the fall of 2020. I'm talking about like Verlander and Clevenger here. So just a sort of a mental note to, to get to when we um talk about those other guys but as far as sale goes he um he came back pretty much on schedule um certainly 
came back better than the other two guys who had setbacks. Right. Center guard right. Severino. Um, and Sale pitched pretty well. It wasn't vintage Chris Sale by any chance, you know, by any stretch of the imagination. But I mean, he, uh, you know, almost 11 strikeouts per nine. I mean, that was almost up where he is, a 3.16 ERA. Um, his, his whip was not as good as usual because, well, I assume because his control was not as good as usual, but really just because his Babbitt was super high. Um, can we, can we give him an all clear tag? What do you think about sale going into next year? Yeah, I, I don't, you know, I don't have the same concerns about sale that I do about the others. Uh, I will say that, you know, it, I never saw his slider and change look like they were back. Like he's, he was throwing his fastball way more, I think because he didn't trust his, his off-speed pitches. Like he was, he usually throws his fastball like 36 to 39% and he was up to 47% last year. Um, And his, his change was pretty bad last year. And his, uh, his slider was just not as crisp and it was also down uh, a mile per hour or so still. Um, and I, I, I definitely think that there's a possibility that come spring training, he's going to look like a good pick and all that stuff. But at the same time, you know, he's going around pick 41. So he's, you know, he's going in like the early third round, which means probably by the time that live NFBC drafts come along, assuming he's looks good, he's going to be a second round pick at worst. He might even be, some people might even be taking him on like the turn, like all the way up there. I, I think he could literally go up that high. And for me, again, there's just other guys I would rather take than him. I, I just, I just don't know that he's going to be fully back yet. Um, and I need, I need to see that, but I don't think he's, I don't think he's as risky as, as the other guys that you mentioned for sure. I'm, I'm not going to push back too much there. Cause I mean, it kind of goes back to the same exact point we made about Bieber, which is if you have a guy you have no concerns about, like, what, you know, are you taking sale over, you know, Gossman and Logan Webb and these third Alcantara and Noah? Yeah. I, I just, I don't understand it. I mean, there's, there's no reason. And yeah, I mean, sale like Bieber can be, you know, a real difference maker if everything's back to normal, but that's, that's a pretty big if, you know, right. and there's, right. and there's some, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, 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 it's, it's useful to me and hopefully to the listeners to hear you go through these and say, you know, like, is, is this a four alarm fire or a, like, what are we right, doing with right. here? And with sale, it's just a concern that maybe pushes him down your draft board a little bit versus some yeah. of the guys that he goes around. Rightly so. Yeah. It's, the guys that it's he goes more, around it's, are really good. I don't know that he's a huge injury risk. Um, I mean, but I will say, you know, 2018, 2019, he pitched 158, 147 innings. Um, you know, I don't know that we're going to see that elite 200 plus inning Chris sale again in his career. Uh, I mean, maybe, but I just, for me, my expectations of what I'm expecting from him are more, you know, I'm hoping for, uh, I, I would, if I'm drafting him, I'm expecting something like 70% of, of Chris sale with like 150 innings, something like that, maybe 160. So I think if that's your expectation, then you won't be disappointed if he doesn't, it's just, you're, you're, you're paying for like 90% of his, of his skill set when you're taking him in the third round. And that's just, 
that's not what I want to be doing. Totally. It, it has to do with the fact that the guys that go around him are very good, you know, and, yeah. and you don't yeah. have to choose between sale and not having pitching upside. <laughs> so, so again, you know, why take, why take the less certain option? So Yeah, exactly. Uh, Syndergaard and Severino, um, maybe we can kind of breeze by, I don't know. You have some really good notes here if you want to go through them real quick, but I mean, sure. they actually, I do want to talk about Severino because I like Severino. Maybe let's just okay. semi skip Syndergaard, but Severino kind of the same timeline as sale, except he got pushed back a couple of times. And so we only got to see him in, uh, September, I guess, late ish September for just, uh, just a few relief outings. And, um, but I will say he pitched fairly well. And the fact that he was able to pitch and now has a full off season to continue to build up his strength makes me feel like maybe he's worth taking a shot on if it's late enough, because we're not talking about Severino in the third round, <laughs> you know, we're talking about Severino in the 11th round or something. 10th so, it looks like, yeah, yeah. So what is, what, what is your general um, thinking on him? Yeah. I mean, so Severino had his surgery February 27th of 2020. So like you said, you know, he was like eight to nine months before guys like Verlander and Clevenger. Um, so he's seemingly had more time to uh, get healthy, but he also like his return from Tommy John was super convoluted. Like he had, a groin injury that, that delayed him. And then uh, I believe he also had a shoulder injury. And like, this is the thing, like when you're trying to, when you take a bunch of time off and then you try to ramp back up and sometimes you might be pushing it and your body overcompensates and then other injuries start popping up. And so, you know, that's why you can't always just assume that a return from Tommy John, if they're like, well, he should be, you know, 18 months after surgery, he should be good to go. Well, maybe, maybe not often it's not. Um, and he's a good example of that because now we're we're going to be, you know, over by the time the season starts, it's going to be over two years since he got the surgery. Um, I definitely think he's going to be rusty. Uh, he returned for four relief pitching outings in September and that was the end of his season. Um, I agree with you that there's a time where it makes sense to take that kind of a risk. Um, I just don't think it's, I don't think in my opinion, 10th round is still way too early. Like if I can take a guy like, you know, Zach Gallen or Luis Garcia or Sean Manaya at the same time, why am I taking Luis Severino there? Like for me, Severino would be a second half of the draft kind of guy. Maybe like maybe around, I don't know, 15 or so 16, 17. I, I'm not sure if 15 is even uh, might be too early. I, I haven't really looked to see who goes around there, but no, maybe round 15 looks like it might be about right. So yeah, maybe like pick 230, 240, 250, somewhere in that range would be more what I would be looking for him. Yeah, there's certainly, uh, I, th I think, you know, after round 10 is around where you start to see pitching really drop off. And so, you know, it's a like this last draft I did, Manaya went in the 10th. Uh, I took Luis Garcia in the ninth. Um, just two of the guys that you mentioned there. Um, yeah. The, the pitchers that went after Severino were d definitely a different tier, in my opinion. 
because like Arkady and, and Ryu and Ranger Suarez and you know a lot well of- a different tier than like a good Luis Severino that's the thing I don't think you're going to be getting like he's going to be really rusty he's not going to be able to go you know he's not going to pitch 200 innings coming off of not pitching the last two years you know like I think you have to set set your expectations fairly yeah, so, low so, for So my expectations here would be that none of these other uh, – so, so I don't really worry about getting volume because I'll just pound okay. pitching after round 25 or something, and I'll get my volume. I'll get guys like, you know, Taiwan Walker and Kyle Gibson and even, you know, Madison Bumgarner and <laughs> Eric Fetty. You know, I, the volume will come at some point. It might not be pretty, and then I get you know some early pitching, like I had Garrett Cole in this in this draft, um, and like I said, Luis Garcia. So it's kind of like I need that ratio upside, and I know I'm not going to get a guy in the tenth or eleventh or twelfth round that can give me, um, you know, two hundred innings of sterling ratios. I might get a guy who can give me two hundred innings of okay pitching you know and hopefully he you know lucks into 15 wins or something you know like that'd be great but um i guess especially in a draft champions where i'm not gonna have any like i'm not gonna pick up uh manoa or something (laughs) mid-season so i'm thinking if severino can give me 100 120 innings of almost peak severino maybe the whip isn't as good because he's he doesn't have his pristine control, but if he has a, you know, a fairly low three ZRA and a 10 or 11 strikeouts per nine, then that's going to help me on a per start basis. And so I get your point. I think don't push him up because if you're taking him over, it's, it's always about what, who, who else is on the board. Right. And so I think the 11th, you know, 11th round is, is about where I start looking his way instead of whoever else is on the board, but that's well, so I don't know your draft specifically. I don't know who was still on the board when, when you took him, but like, are you taking him over guys like Sean Manaya, Zach Gallen, Luis Garcia, Sonny Gray? No, those guys okay. were all actually, I don't know about Sonny Gray. I'm kind of off. Sunny so his, his, his ADP, which is only based on eight drafts so far uh, in NFBC, his ADP is ahead of all of those guys. Right Pitching now. got pushed up in this one. So in the 11th round, Kopech, Gallen, Sonny Gray, Joe Ryan, Eduardo Rodriguez, they were all off the board. Okay. And okay. I was off so the board. Those, Boz those was guys, off the board. Even Tanner Hawk was off the board. Yeah. According to this ADP, you know, Joe Ryan, Eduardo Rodriguez, they're like in the 190s. So gotcha. in this in this ADP, Luis Severino is 143. So that's uh oh we'll see that's a that's a ninth round pick so so i actually got him late (laughs) i got him in the 11th (laughs) okay yeah and i I, think i think that's the cutoff i think that i think this is an an important um distinction because it's like yeah there are a lot of risky pitchers more risky than severino in my opinion that you can take in the 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 eighth ninth tenth round you know carlos rodon went in the eighth snell went in the eighth I think when um, we're talking about like pick 200, um, I think that that's fair. You know, I, I think that that's uh, that's a good, you know, around pick 200 is probably, you know, that's where Eduardo Rodriguez, Joe Ryan, you know, Syndergaard, that's where those guys are coming off the board. So at that point, like you're saying, there's a lot of risky guys and everything. And I think that that's where it would make more sense. Do I think that I'm going to end up with Severino? Probably not, but I can understand it at that point much more than in the 140s where there's a lot of guys in the 150s, 160s, there's a lot of guys on the board still that I prefer to him. 
I've got a I've got an either or for you. What okay would you take Severino or Clevenger? Because Clevenger is going 180 something. So that's what is that? That's 13th. 13th round i'm probably taking severino because he's i mean he he got the surgery like nine months before and uh, see here's the thing i mean he had some setbacks when he was coming back but he's already had them right and so that's not to say that there won't be more but we don't know what the future holds for clevenger i mean he may exactly have zero setbacks he may have a chris sale like um trajectory coming back from from tommy john or better but but like you said, I'll take the months and Severino. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a significant difference in time. I mean, nine months is a long time. And granted, like you said, and like we both said, he had a bunch of setbacks in that time. So there's reasons that it was nine months longer than it should have been or than, uh, than Clevenger's uh, surgery date. But um, yeah, I, I for sure would, would take him over Clevenger though. I, I don't know that I'll take either, but I think that, that Severino is a better bet for that. And I, and I like it better than sale too, because like taking sale in the first four rounds or taking Severino in like the, you know, ninth, 10th or 11th round, I think I'd rather, cause like how much of a skill difference is there? Like sure sales better than Severino, but by, you know, eight rounds or seven rounds, probably not. It's all about who who's going around him, who, who your other option is. If you need a picture there and, um, I mean, if you needed a pitcher in the third round and you're looking at Chris Sale, you've got a lot of other options you can go with, but exactly. not exactly the case in the 11th round. Right. Correct. But here, here's another quick, quick hitter question. Because uh, I, I personally think when you're getting towards pick 200, Clevenger is not a bad um, gamble if you can afford the gamble. And again, you got to think about team construction here and right. not leave yourself in the lurch. Like if I have to start, Eric Fetty, I have to start Eric Fetty, but I'm not going to have take zeros, you know, but um, so that's something to consider. But I think Clevenger at some point is is worth having. What what do you think? Uh, uh, he's going like 180 something. Verlander is going 160 something. Let's say they were the same price and it was late enough for you. Who do you like between those? Two? Uh, I'm sorry, between Clevenger and who? Verlander. Um, assuming they're going at the same point, I'm probably, uh, man, I mean, Verlander is going to be, I think, 40 years, or he's 39 now, I think. Um, uh, but he's he's sitting 93, 94, and he needs to get up to 94, 95, which is not too far off at this Seems point doable. in the offseason. Yeah, uh, and he has about a month and a half ahead of Clevenger. See, that's the thing. Typically, 18 months is the timeline to return from Tommy John, but then it still takes you time past that 18 months to uh, to kind of get back into the swing of things. So for Verlander, or I'm sorry, for uh, Clevenger, he got it in uh, uh, November of 2020. So a year from there would be November of 21 and then another six months from that would be December, January, February, March, April, May. So I don't think Clevenger is going to be right until at least like June. Um, So that's why I don't want to take a guy like that in most leagues because I'm pretty much holding him. And then even when he comes back and he's like, they're saying he's going to be ready for spring training. I, 
I'll take the under on. I don't think he's going to be ready. And if they, if, if he is technically ready, I don't think he's going to be very good. So I'll always take the extra time. So I'll take Verlander over him. Although again, I don't see myself taking either of them this year. Yeah. That's really interesting to hear how you think through that. I appreciate that. I, I have been favoring Clevenger of the two. And really the only reason I can give you is because of Verlander's age. age. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, got, I, I don't totally really get that. A, and that, I mean, and that's, Clevenger and that's the reason why I'm that many innings on his arm, you know, he's just, he's not right. He's not that old, but he's even less experienced. And and yet he's shown some real flashes of, of upside. Now he's never been Justin Verlander, you know, right. like Verlander right. is, is another level if he's, if he's right and, and healthy. But I mean, in 2019, Clevenger looked pretty close. I mean, he sub three ERA, 12 strikeouts per nine. But, um, but yeah, that's a good, that's a really good point. Probably the answer is, you know, if you're, if you're taking these sort of mid teen stabs, what you have to do is one, don't take more than one of these guys in the same draft. Right. Cause like, for sure, for sure. Point, don't do that. At some point, this is an upside play that if it's late enough, it's worth it. And then the second thing I, I would do since I, you know, I'm not Zach Waxman, but I do, you know, maybe 10 draft champions leagues is diversify. Right. Like I've got yeah. Severino in one already. So maybe I'll not, I'll pass him up. And then if, you know, if it's the 13th, 14th, 15th round and Clevenger or Verlander is hanging around, maybe I, I grab one of them as long as I could plan the rest of my team for that. So, but I, I do think, you know, the point is interesting that, you know, October 1st for Verlander and November 16th for Clevenger, their Tommy John surgeries were months, months, months earlier than sales, uh, which was at the end of March of last year. So you mean uh, later than sales? They, they, they were earlier uh, relative to the season that they're trying to come back. In other words, Sale has had his in March and then tried to come back for the next season. Verlander and Clevenger had theirs in the fall. Okay, I see. And they're coming saying. back, you know, not the next season, but, but the season after that. So they, they have had versus Wait, what I'm Sale sorry. had. Oh, okay. Uh, okay, you mean they're not co- trying to come back in 2021. They're trying to come back in 2022. Exactly. Yeah. So, so versus what Sale had when he started coming back, they've had another five, six months to, to recover. So I think people don't really, aren't really thinking about that. Cause I think people are smart or, or they're getting smarter because these guys aren't going, uh, you know, as early as they could be. Uh, but, but maybe that adjustment isn't being made for, you know, Verlander and Clevenger are a little bit different than sale and Syndergaard and Severino were last year. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I don't I want to overemphasize that either because everything you just said is very well taken that, you know, maybe some people can be Chris Sale and come back after, you know, just a little over 12 months, but it's not. Uh, obviously, two out of three guys did not do that, right? Cindergard exactly. I, I we're not ready. I think in general, in general, if you're just fading all of these guys, I think you're going to be much better off. I mean, it, that's just my opinion. I don't. I think the main thing that that people get hung up on is is they hear the name and they associate the prime statistics with that name. And you have to realize Sale is not Sale, Syndergaard is not Syndergaard, Severino is not Severino. It's it's a much watered down version that you're getting back. Like you're going to get back a rusty 
uh, version of them where they're going to be walking more guys. They're going to be striking out less guys. Um, it's not going to be, and there's going to be hiccups. There's going to be bumps in the road. Most likely almost all of these guys had several setbacks along the way. And like you said, we probably haven't seen them from like Verlander and Clevenger yet, but they could easily be coming still because they haven't tried to return yet. Usually when they're starting to ramp up, that's where you start having these other issues. That's where you have a shoulder injury coming off of that or a hip injury. And, you know, all these other things that we saw when Severino and Syndergaard were trying to return and Lamette and like, you're just, it's not going to go as smoothly as you think it is 90% of the time. So it's not just like, Oh, well they had the surgery and then like a year plus back now they're fine. It doesn't work that way. Like you're not just going to be getting these, these aces that you're expecting. So um, I just urge you to not overrate these guys because of their name value. And you really have to train your brain to, to stop thinking of them as Verlander, you know, cause you're not getting Cy Young Verlander back this year. I guarantee you. So don't think of it that way. You have to think of them as a completely different player, you know, like uh, a much more watered down version of them. Perfectly put. And, and, and I agree. I'm not trying to overstate the, the extra recovery time because you still have to, I mean, it still probably isn't easy to just jump back into pitching at the major league level, no matter how good you were before. So very, sure. very well put. And I, the only thing I'll say is I, I really do think the market is, valuing these guys a little bit more appropriately because if if you did expect prime Verlander or prime Clevenger you'd be taking them in the second round or something you know and this is they're, they're going way way later doesn't necessarily mean they'll be a bargain but at least they won't be such a ripoff as we've seen in previous years we'll see we'll see where they start going uh by March because I think part of this is like Verlander didn't even have a team until recently. So, you know, I, I think some of the early drafts probably reflected that like his min is 124 and his max is 206. So I'm right. assuming he'll probably go closer to like 125 than the 164 or whatever he's at right now for these eight drafts. So I think you're going to keep seeing the prices on these guys go up and up and up. I'm not going to argue with you on that. I'm sure you've seen that year after year. So <laughs> it, it'll probably sure. happen again, but at least for now, you know, you don't have to pay the premium price, but doesn't mean right. it's a bargain. Well, let For me sure. let me skip around a little bit. I had a question when we were talking about Degrom because Degrom had that partial UCL tear, and I don't know if you've really looked at him, but Joe Ross had the same thing um, on August fifteenth. He had a partial UCL tear. Is that an injury? I, I my understanding was with Degrom, you said, yeah, rest will probably help him a lot. Um, he's had a few months and he'll have the off season. So maybe he'll be fine at the beginning of the season, but it's, it's a risk of recurrence. And um, do, do I understand that right? And, and would you say the same thing for Joe Ross? You know, I didn't, I didn't get a chance to look into Joe Ross and I'd, I'd have to go back and look at my notes to see who else had the same uh, injury and, and what the timeline was. And um I wish well, I knew how to use Derek Rhodes's injury timeline tool better because I, I know that he, he tracks all this stuff and I don't know how to do a, a search for different injuries on it, but that would definitely be useful to know like, okay, when guys have this, how long do they miss? So what did you find with Joe Ross? With I, I just, there? I just found on August 15th, it was a partial tear of the ulnar collateral ligament and I, which is believe, the UCL, right. And I believe that he was out ever since. Okay. So 
like a month and a half he was out for to the yeah, end of his the last season. his last game was August 10th so right before that was announced right and, he, and and so you know obviously like DeGrom he's had a few months already to recover and he'll have the rest of the offseason but you know with just that knowledge and this is actually kind of an interesting question for you since you you don't really have any more information is that enough to sort of say um you know, he's sort of on the watch list for next year, but as long as he's recovered to start the season, he might be worth giving a shot, given that you're not, you're going to get him in the last round of a regular draft. Or Actually, he, he just went undrafted in my draft champions league. So, Yeah, I was going to say, I for Joe Ross, I probably just am not interested in general. Um, right. But I think the UCL, just on top of that, makes me even less interested. Yeah, it's interesting <laughs> to, to, to think about, like, you – you kind of have trained yourself to see not to not just ask yourself, is he going to be back? But you yeah. asked yourself, do I care if he is back? Right. And yeah. <laughs> and what am I expecting when he is back? Like if, yeah, if Jacob DeGrom is on the mound, I care, but yeah, exactly. I still don't expect him to be a hundred percent of what he can be if, if he's fighting injury, you know, and um, that goes more than quadruple for a guy who's just way, 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 way down the list skills wise so well i I will say with with Degrom, it doesn't seem to stop him like i think he does like he was injured i think for uh before he like i don't think he just got hurt in his last start i think he had been pitching yeah it's more binary with him he's either out there or he's not right (laughs) if he's out there yeah and if he's out there he's he's probably awesome but he probably shouldn't be out there a lot of the time like i remembered when they rushed him back because he said that he was okay and i remembered saying oh my god this is fucking dumb Mets what are you doing you know like you need to I know that he wants to return but your your medical staff needs to say you know it's not in your best interest to return right now and I think if they hadn't let him push it he might not have missed the entire second half so yes when he's on the mound he's awesome the problem is should he be on the mound is he actually okay and I don't think he was for a lot of that time but he was still able to pitch great through it because I think he just is that good that, and he didn't care and about his arm where he just kept pitching through it. The reason I bring up Ross and, you know, I've got Danny Duffy here with a, he had a flexor strain and then he was out for most, most of the rest of the season, I believe. And then other back strains, lower back strains that other people have had. And then all the other injuries we've already mentioned from shoulder inflammation or, discomfort or you know there's there's so many different designations of of what the injuries are do you have like a hierarchy of the ones that scare you the most (laughs) um like a like a back strain if a guy yeah has it once misses he goes on the il he comes back and you never never hear about it again you got to feel like that was a one-off Generally, the thing with back injuries are they they usually, other than Sandoval this year, they usually don't like knock you out for long periods of time, but they never really go away. And I'm someone who I've had a serious back injury for, you know, 15 years now. Um, And I can tell you, like, no matter what you do, if it's a, if it's a back, uh, a real back injury, it's, it's pretty much never going to go away. I mean, sometimes you can get a, surgery but doctors don't like doing back surgeries at all and so generally it's just something you have to live with 
And, you know, we've seen Christian Yelich has had back, back injuries for years. It's going to be one of those things where you're going to miss starts or you're going to miss games if you're a hitter. And generally you're going to come back, but it's just really annoying in season to deal with guys who have them, but you usually don't miss time. Like a back injury doesn't concern me as much as a forearm injury or a shoulder injury or an elbow injury. Uh, those proximity to the arm is what bothers. Yes, (laughs) for sure. You know, like I'm looking at, uh, you know, Charlie Morton, for example, who we'll get to a little bit later, you know, it's not an arm injury, right? That's, that's why I'm not necessarily out on him because assuming he's good to go for, you know, in spring training and he gets his innings in, I don't really have any concern with him from his fractured right fibula, you know, cause it's, it's not his arm. His arm should be good to go. You know? Yeah. I think that's a reasonable. And even if you miss, you know, like the Soroka type stuff where he just had such a hard time coming back from that leg thing. I mean, that's going to be yeah. the rarity rather than the rule I would imagine. So. I, you- I don't know enough about the, the leg injuries to know that, but I, I, I would say, yes, I, I think that that was an extreme case. You mentioned Sandoval with the back. Is it what did you, I know you looked at him? What do you, what do you think about that particular situation? Because I would, yeah, I, I, th- I think I'd be back in on Patrick Sandoval for next year. I mean, I'd have to look into him further. Like all I saw was that he had a back injury uh, on August eighteenth of twenty twenty one, and they ruled him out for the season. Now, granted, that's that's uh, that's a little scary that it that they thought it was so bad that he had to miss another month and a half from that. Like I, I need more information. I don't have enough information right now to, to decide, but again, it's not an arm injury. So I'm, I'm less concerned about him than some of these other guys. Um, you can pick somebody if you want to talk about them, but let me real quick ask about, I, I, we're not going to be able to get to all these guys, but Oscar Noah um, had a sh- shoulder injury at the end of the season. Did you yeah. look into him at all? I, I, I'm kind of, I mean, anytime I see shoulder, I'm at least going to knock him down a few rounds, but is, oh, yeah. do you think he'll be okay? Or is this, is this the type of thing that lingers? I mean, it's so yeah. hard because it's, I, all I have is injury. I don't know if it's inflammation or a tear or what. Right. And there's, there's not a lot known right now. Um, you know, this, this occurred, uh, what was it? The 20th of October in the playoffs, you know, it's like, um, and then they removed him from their roster and it just says, yeah, it's like a shoulder injury. It doesn't say shoulder issue, uh, right shoulder inflammation. So yeah, that, that d- inflammation is a word that I don't like. Um, I would say that just based on that, I'm out on him right now. Like, unless I, I get more information that this is not a big deal or something. Um, I just, it, that's not something I want to mess with. Like anything, anytime a guy ends the season on something like that, I'm generally out on them the next year. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I think that's the kind of thing that's useful to know. Um, I'm not going to say who it was, but the team that got him also drafted Verlander and uh, some other guys I would consider risky. And that's, that's the trouble is. Oh, in your, in your, in your draft and hold, you mean? Right. He got Inoa in the 18th round, which sounds good on its face, but it's also like if you get too many of those guys who aren't going to be in your lineup, then uh, yeah. 
then you could be in trouble. And, and, and also, you know, I, I said sort of off the cuff that I would knock him down a few rounds. That's probably about where he lands if you knock him down a few rounds. I mean, the 18th round is, is good value for a healthy Anoa, I think. But the problem is, you know, there are it's, – it's, it's very hard to come up with that, that correct value when you take into account the risk, especially for a, a draft and hold because you're not uh, – you can't you can't drop it. You can't pick up somebody else. So you have to. Uh, I think one thing I noticed that that Phil Dusso did this year that was so good, especially in his draft and holds, um, was he didn't waste picks. You know, yes, that's, that's number that's job number one. Really, is you know if you draft and holds it, are the last place where I want to be taking these guys. Like in we're just looking for production. We just don't want to take zero. So I want as minimal injury risk as possible in my draft and holds. Um, I just want to get guys who are going to play. And then that's going to give me a huge advantage. Like someone else could have much better hitters or pitchers than me, but uh, if they're risky, they're, they're going to miss more time than my guys and my guys are going to pass them uh, at least in the non ratios because of the fact that they're getting more at bats, they're getting more innings and, that's what I'm looking to do in DCs. It gives you a huge advantage if you train yourself to just avoid all of these injury risks and just, just, I just eliminate all of them. I'm just like, okay, I'm, I'm not taking these guys unless someone falls like ridiculously far. Um, but 18th round probably isn't even late enough for me to take, you know, like at that point I could be taking a productive hitter because they run out in the first 30 rounds. I don't even want to bother with Anoa. Like I, I, if they're not producing for me, I'm not taking them. You know, it's a smart take. It's the you know the the point I want to key in on for all these is just you know is I guess maybe a different way to phrase the injury specific question was you know other than like a back injury that we've already sort of said as long as it's not inordinately severe you you figure it's it's just going to be a thing that maybe takes you out for a week or two. Are there other injuries you can think of for a pitcher um, that you, that you would think, Oh, well, he'll be okay with a, with an off season of rest. I mean, yeah. Like, uh, you know, hip groin, you know, anything that's just like some, some tightness, uh, even an oblique with an off season, it's fine. You know, an oblique is generally like a five or six week injury. But not forearm tightness. That would that no, would no. <laughs> ending a season, ending a season with uh, shoulder inflammation or forearm tightness. These are the types of things that that I'm avoiding. You know, like McCullers uh, forearm. Uh, I think it was tightness ended his season this year. I'm staying away next year. Um, Interesting. And then uh, we we were talking about uh, oh uh, Kershaw had a forearm. I mean, I think Kershaw's fucked. So he. He was hurt since well, let's talk about July 7th. Yeah. So he, that's the same day as uh, DeGrom's last last outing. And, of course, Kershaw yep. came back for a little bit. But um, you have on your notes, no surgery, but he got a PRP injection in August. Right. So, yeah. PRP is pretty much the great. precursor to Tommy John. So I'm does fully it ever work? Tommy John is, for Kershaw. I mean, is there ever a situation There's been – a couple of instances uh, where PRP has, has I worked. We I think actually, <laughs> I think actually Zach Wheeler got PRP and never had to have Tommy John, if I remember correctly, but, but he I was did. You said Tanaka. 
Yeah, I think Tanaka too, but then he started sucking. So <laughs> uh, I don't know. If that's like the best case for it, but um, yeah, I can't remember because Wheeler Wheeler missed 2015 and 2016. So I guess he did have Tommy John. I don't know. I'd have to go back and look, but I don't have it in my notes here. But yes, I think there have been a couple situations where PRP did not lead to. I mean, obviously, Lament never had uh, Tommy John, but I mean, he's still fucked. So. I mean, so, so Lamette and Kershaw, you, you, you would like, you would hate to think this for Kershaw's sake, but <laughs> it certainly sounds like what happened to Lamette last year and what yeah, happened to Kershaw exactly. this year. There's some similarities. They both got the PRP injection, which is clearly yeah. not a panacea. <laughs> you know, there right. doesn't, doesn't bring you back right away. It doesn't bring you back to full strength. So, um, you know, with, with Lamette, it was, forearm tightness and i believe biceps tightness or something but anyway. uh, i know he had he had an elbow injury that he got the prp for and then he so he was the one guy forearm tightness. i actually had decent notes for so so it was september oh, okay. 25th 2020 he left uh in the fourth inning after a pitch to longoria an uncomfortable pitch they called it um <laughs> with with apparent injury you never like to hear that Right. And then a, a day later, Tingler said it was biceps tightness. And uh, so they, you know, they decide not to have surgery. Uh, and he, he shows up uh, on the IL to start 2021 and comes off after a fairly minimal stint. But he's he's back on with a forearm injury in late April and then comes back some more. I think, did he did he ever get a start this year? Or was it just out of the bullpen the whole time I, i'm not looking at his uh fan graphs page or anything but i think he was Let's, mostly out of the bullpen like they didn't yeah they, I, they, I, you they know, knew they, it was hanging on by a thread or something they weren't they weren't pushing it yeah so well they did though because like uh they tried to have him i believe start uh the 21st of april was his first start and then he had to leave after two innings um, and then he didn't pitch again until May 4th, but uh, no, he, so they kind of built him up then after he came back May 4th until uh, June, 8th, he actually went five innings and then June 20th, he also went five innings, but then after going, he went four innings, five innings, four innings, five innings. And then after June 20th, going five innings, he never again uh, went over two innings. So obviously kind they realized if uh, I mean, he didn't, on the IL after that June 20th start, but it kind of makes you wonder if he did. Like, he, okay. went on, he went on the IL then on the 27th uh, of okay. June. So the then very next back start. And then came back in September. So he made one more start after that, but but I, he probably got pulled early or something, it sounds like. Yeah, so. he gave up. He had four runs in two and a third inning, so they could have just pulled him because he was sucking. Um, well, but, but, I mean, they, he, but, he, but he went on the, the IL the next day with with right for him inflammation again so, right right and then right. on august 12th he had the procedure to clean out the hip infection which is seems unrelated but it's kind of not Another great thing yeah. <laughs> and then um and then you know he looked okay late he had 12 innings of relief and in uh september i mean his his control wasn't there he had an, a walks per nine of like eight but he was hitting 95 on the fastball consistently. So I guess my question is, is September enough to give you any hope at all? <laughs> or no. Is, or is this no. just a, uh, 
he put it together for a few weeks, but the injury concern is is still looming very large. No, I mean, first of all, he's I don't think he I think he's proven right now he can't handle a starter workload regardless. Uh so like what is what is the best case scenario here that he comes back as a reliever and yeah, know, I guess they would be an wise effective to, reliever to have him in the bullpen, right? I mean, if they're not gonna give him a surgery, if they're not gonna if he's not gonna if they're not going to do what he needs to do, then uh, yeah, I guess you just have him be a relief pitcher until he breaks himself again completely. But I, I don't know what the point of this is. Like just give them the surgery. That's, that's what these guys need. And Kershaw is the same thing. And I think Kershaw is going to be like Lamette this year. Um, I I'm not like, he's completely off my list. I'm not drafting him. So uh, when I see PRP, I'm out completely. Super helpful. I think people. I mean, if if you were vindicated about anything last year, it was your your being out on Denelson Lamette. So, <laughs> I mean, I can't really take credit for that because I think everybody and their mother was out on Denelson Lamette, other than like I mean, five people. <laughs> I was seeing some fairly smart industry folks, you know, break down and take him at some point. That was the eighth, ninth, tenth round. But I mean, I don't think you would have taken him in the thirtieth round. You know, correct, correct. That and is so. That's that is that's true. the thing, and that's that's you know, you it 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 goes back to what we've said several times already in this po- podcast. But if you look at the guys going around him, and you are still able to say to some extent, why take the risk? I mean, you don't need a guy who's going to give you an ERA sub three or a a one point oh five WHIP in the eighth round, if you get a solid guy in the eighth round, that's going to give you, you know, 160 plus innings and a decent, you know, number of wins. I mean, that's a win. And, and, yeah. and that's going to put you in a good position to win the league. I mean, like, why, why are you trying to shoot the moon? <laughs> you know? Exactly. My, my way of thinking is I'm going to get production early on. I'm going to make sure I'm drafting guys who I can count on. And then later I'll take my risks, you know, like in the 15th, the 20th and you know all the way through the 30th round like that's where i'm going to take risks on guys who if they don't work out and i'm more taking risks on like uh talent you know guys like you know for for instance this year you know you had guys like dylan cease kind of break out and stuff like that uh robbie ray was a good late pick you know rodan was super late you know these are the kind of guys where you say hey they've got the ability if they put things together then this can be a great pick. And if not, it's an easy drop, right? Like you drop them and you pick someone else up and then no big deal because your team isn't depending on them in the first 15 rounds. A lot of these guys, my team's depending on them. Like I, I can't miss, Uh, I'm looking to miss less than my competition and, and avoiding these injuries is a huge reason of why I miss less than most people. Great point on where to take your risks, and you know, I had, I, I just lucked into a few, few Rodone shares last year, which were huge, and Robbie yeah, Ray. For sure. and, I mean, obviously those those rounds, you know, twentieth and after, you know, fortieth and after, sometimes for Rodone. I mean, it's, it's the obvious place to do that. Uh, you know what I'm going to ask? You got any guys for this year? <laughs> Oh, uh, in terms of uh, late, late guys late, to take late or stabs, because I, because I'm just not seeing. I mean, not that there were a ton of them last year, but there were certainly a few that stood out. I had like, I, I got Trevor Rogers after the 30th round, then a couple of early drafted holds. Oh wow, that's awesome. Before he shot up, and I know a lot of people were doing that with Logan Webb, but I'm, I'm yeah. not really seeing that kind of talent that late, and. Um, the, you know, there's not going to be another Rodon. That was a that was a once in a few years type thing. 
Probably not. Um, I I haven't really gotten into it yet, so I couldn't say. I, yeah, no, that's fine. I, 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 I like I, in terms of um, like a later guy. I do like Tyler McGill. He goes like he's been going around like three forty. I don't know if he's going to keep going that late. Um, I'm really interested to see if Brady Singer can add a third pitch. I don't know that he will because they've kind of talked about how they think he can get by with two pitches. And like, there's so much I like about his profile, but I don't like that. He only throws two pitches. And I think that's forever going to hold him back until he adds a third, but cause he goes pretty late to like three sixty or so. Like if he can add a third pitch, he's a guy uh, that I'm, that I'm all of a sudden pretty interested in. Um, those nice are the only two guys. Actually, can... I, I was going to tell you that those guys weren't going late enough for me because I want the real <laughs> you know, after pick. Oh yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah. But but I didn't realize they were going in the twenties. So that's that. Those are two good callouts. I mean, I, I I personally don't believe in Brady Singer, but Tyler McGill, I think um, if you get him after round twenty, that's that's worth it. For sure. Yeah, I think it's it's uh, it's worth the shot. At the, at this point, you're just looking for guys who have uh, some characteristics of a successful pitcher, like. You're looking for guys who have high velocity, you know, good stuff, like vertical movement, stuff like that. I'm, I'm just looking for, and, and the opportunity to then use it, you know, like you were talking about uh, Trevor Rogers. He was a big hit for me this year. You know, yeah, at some point you throws... look at strikeouts and you say, you know, I could see if, if, if other things fall into place, like he stops walking yep. the world or something, then. Yeah. Like then... Robbie Ray. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And did so, you, did you, by the way, did you hear what they told Robbie Ray as to why his, his control improved? What, what, what? I, I heard, I heard this from, Eno at first pitch Arizona, they said he was trying to like hit corners and stuff, but he doesn't have the control to do that. And they said, look, your stuff is good enough that people are going to swing and miss it in the zone. Just, just throw it in the zone. Like don't aim for a corner, just throw, <laughs> just it, throw it down the, the middle, middle of the plate. plate. <laughs> yeah. Literally, they said aim for the middle because you're not going to hit the middle all the time because you don't have good enough control to. So just oh, aim funny. for the middle. And then, you know, some of his pitches would go, you know, off to the, you know, inside outside, but they would be towards the middle of the zone. And so his, you know, ability to throw strikes is now a thing. Like he can now throw <laughs> strikes, but he has no idea what part of the zone he's throwing it in, uh, but I mean, he's throwing it in the zone. So. As long as it stays in, you know, exactly somewhere exactly. around Which, the middle of the plate. <laughs> I thought that that was super interesting though. I'm like, oh, I, yeah, I think okay. I had, like, I had heard something to that effect, but, but that's, that's really cool. He's like the anti-Maddox, you know, <laughs> he's like doing exactly. <laughs> it's like, why are you trying to throw it to a specific place where you have no business trying? Cause you're not that you're not very accurate, but you've got great stuff. If you've got good stuff, you can throw it in the zone and guys aren't going to be able to crank it because it's that good. And that's, that's really what he needs to rely on. So until that stuff starts to deteriorate, he can have some level of success. Although I do worry about Robbie Ray uh, being in the AL East and everything. And, and even, even despite, you know, his not no longer trying to nibble and stuff, I still have concerns that his walk rate will, will come back to some degree. Uh, so you know, I, he's probably a guy that I'm, I'm not taking that early round risk on. I just don't, I don't like taking guys coming off of career years. Like that's, that's not the time to take someone because you're, you're paying for their, that top shelf production that they're not likely to repeat. Like that's yeah. like their, you know, 1% outcome. And I don't think he's going to do it again, necessarily. Yeah. Again, who's going around it. So. Well, this uh, has been awesome, Dave. I don't, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, and um, listeners are probably tired of listening to me at least. But um, 
Nah. Do you have an, another uh, maybe one one guy to pick out that you want to talk about? Uh let's see. This will be we'll yeah. End. I'll put I'll I'll because you know I know you were asking me of of all the injured guys who would I take and we we mentioned Morton so I'll mention the other guy and that's Zach Gallen. Um, he had a sprained elbow on uh, May twelfth of twenty twenty one and he returned really quickly. Like when it happened, like you hear a sprained elbow, you're like, Oh God, that sounds like it's like a multi-month thing. But he actually came back a month later in June, I think probably too soon granted. Uh, And then he had a hamstring injury in July and returned like two weeks later. But if you look at what he did from August 21st on, he, he looked very much like himself again. Um, And I think that this is, this is a guy who he's not like a top tier ace, but I think he's like that second tier of potential uh aces if he's when he's right and uh i mean granted i don't have all the information if he is completely good to go but right now his adp is 150 and i don't see i I think for me uh an elbow sprain is not as bad as like elbow inflammation like i don't think this is going towards tommy john or anything i think this was uh more of a structural issue that and i think that 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 uh, has had time to correct now. And so I think assuming he has a healthy spring training and everything, he's a guy who I'm very much in on. I, and I mean, he's going in like the 10th round. Uh, I think that that's great. I took him in, uh, in first pitch Arizona. I can't remember exactly where I took him, but I pretty sure it was like round somewhere in like the round 12 range or something like that. And so, yeah, I think if you can get gallon, anywhere near there i would be drafting him and draft champions right now because i think that that price is going to go up pretty significantly by march love it yeah i'd take him over severino he went in the 11th round right before i took severino uh, wish wish he would have been there (laughs) Uh, yeah i know (laughs) i actually was considering him in the ninth round when i took luis garcia who do you like between those two yeah um i like both of them i i i do like zach ellen's uh skills better obviously um, I, I didn't recall Garcia having any injury issues this year. I don't know if, if you knew of the anything. only thing was, was that thing in the playoffs where he had to come out of the game, but then he, he came right back in and pitched in the next game and did pretty well, I think. So, yeah, um, I think, I think with him, it's more just a, a question of maybe he was overworked a bit. Cause he, I don't, I think he was coming off like 12 innings in 2020 and then he pitched over 150 this year. So yeah, 170, uh, including the playoffs. So yeah, so that was that was a pretty big innings jump for him. So I think probably some of it just came down to him uh, having some fatigue and whatnot. But I don't think there's any real injury risk with with Garcia. I just think that Gallon's a better pitcher and fairly significantly better uh, when he's when he's good to go. So for me, it's Gallon over Garcia. But I don't think that Garcia's a bad pick there. I I, I do like where Garcia goes. Interesting. I I would I kind of agree with you that Zach Kellen is like not an ace, but like a second tier solid guy. And so that's kind of where I would have Garcia too. So they're pretty pretty similar. But um yeah, I think I think you balance out the the ever so slight injury concern with Gallon versus the lack of experience for Garcia. And it's it's pretty much a toss-up. Sounds about right. Well, Dave. Thanks again. This has just been a lot of fun. And I, I know I've, I've learned a lot and I, I love talking to you about this because it's clearly something that you, 
have spent a lot of time over a lot of years thinking about and sort of refine, refining your process, which is what we what we talked about today, the process, because, you know, you hadn't even looked at some of these guys until you were looking at them this morning. And so it's, <laughs> it's useful for me to think about the way you study this stuff and you go through it, because like, I just, you know, I think until you've done this a couple of times, it's, yeah. it's, it's pretty easy to do what I was sort of instinctively doing before and you go oh well he's injured maybe you know i don't know if he's gonna stay injured i don't know i don't know if he's gonna get better but there are a few sort of indicators and uh, we've talked about a lot of them today so uh i think this has been pretty darn helpful yeah well, I'm, I'm very glad i could help i uh always love coming on and talking with you drew um and uh yeah i think a lot of people uh just say well i'm not a doctor so i don't know you know and and i think over the years, the reason that I developed this uh, ability to look into injuries and do a, like my injury risk assessment and everything is because back in the day when I was playing, you know, for a long time, we didn't have advanced statistics. There was no fan graphs, obviously no stat cast, you know, this stuff all is within the last few years. So when you're looking at reasons to, to draft or not draft certain players, well, what am I going to be looking at? You know, I'm going to, you know, I can look at surface statistics, but outside of that, what else can I look at? You know, and, and learning to stay away from, you know, injury risks was a, was a big part of my edge that I, that I used to, to win for a long time. And so I kind of carried that forward. Whereas a lot of people, I think who have started in the last couple of years with all these advanced statistics, they kind of push injury risk aside as something that's not as important because they never really needed to rely on it before. So I think that they think that this stuff is a lot more random than it really is. If you, if you take it seriously and, and look into stuff, you don't have to be a doctor to kind of see the way that this stuff often goes. And like I said, I'll, I'll be wrong occasionally, but I'm going to be right the vast majority of the time because a lot of these things are, um, are patterns that you see over the years. And if you see a guy who keeps having shoulder injuries, you know, and stuff like that, and and if you start seeing things like shoulder inflammation and, okay, did he have surgery? No. Okay. Well, why am I going to assume that he's just okay and good to go the next year? And I think it could be just laziness. A lot of people just don't want to put in the effort to look into all this stuff. It's not fun, right? Like it's not, it's not right. fun to go and look into injuries and everything, but, but it's necessary if you really want to be a good player at this you get level. A, you get a reputation as a, as a bit of a, of a downer because you, know, well, you that's, don't want to yeah. tell these guys. But, but the thing is, you what you're doing is you are taking sort of a common sense approach, perfect for this podcast, and you're, <laughs> you're, you're marrying the fact that the injury does say something about the likelihood of what the player is going to do going forward. And you're marrying that with a common sense, like, why, why am I taking this risk? Do I need to take this risk? Like Correct. if there were no other pitchers for you to draft, then you would change your approach, but that's not the case. And we see that year after year. And though I do think the market is getting a little bit more efficient and, and not pushing these guys up quite as much, at least for now, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll talk again in March and see what happens. But, but, it, but, you know, while I do think that's happening to some extent, I still think you, you really can't go wrong avoiding a guy when there are great options um, available. So I just, yep. that's, it, it really all comes together for me when, you know, sort of, that's kind of my approach anyway, but, you know, to see, and, and, and like you said, maybe it's a little over calibration, 
maybe we're being a little too paranoid on some of these guys, but it's going to save us a whole lot of pain. So um, I'm really kind of coming around to your, your way of looking at that. So, um, so again, thanks so much, Dave McDonald. Uh, if you want to plug anything or at least give your Twitter handle, uh, please do. Yeah. Um, I'm always available to chat on Twitter at run D McD that's run DMC. And then make sure you add that D at the end. Otherwise you're tweeting the band. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, you can also catch me on my podcasts, uh, high stakes heat with, uh, my partner and, and, uh, one of my close friends, Jake Callisker. We record on Thursdays. Uh, we just did our first episode since July, <laughs> uh, last <laughs> Thursday. And then we're also going to be recording tonight. And then I'm also on the friends with fantasy benefits podcast with Justin Mason. Uh, we normally record Mondays, but actually we're recording tonight as well. So this is the first of three podcasts for me today. So uh, that'll be a, a fun time. We're having, um, we're having Michael Simeone on uh, high stakes heat. And then we're having Michael Govier on uh, friends with fantasy benefits tonight. So uh, I don't think we're going to record that until like, after midnight so it's gonna be a busy day of podcasting for wow. me but uh i was very excited that you were uh coming back to uh to record again drew so thank you so much for having me on always yeah, a pleasure glad- my friend and uh yeah definitely enjoyed being here yeah i'm glad to to, to re-kick it off with you and um, it sounds like you and jake are on the same schedule so we'll have to i've <laughs> joked that i need to start a podcast network called the off-season podcasts and you and jake are invited if that ever happens so. <laughs> all right all right uh but, but thanks again so much for being here. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, this is Drew, and this has been the Common Sense Fantasy Baseball Podcast. And as always, stay classy, Planet Baseball. I never remember how to just seamlessly stop this recording. Oh, there's a button right here. <laughs> <laughs> I hope this is on the recording at the end. <laughs>